Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastermatrix.com. That's podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. What can be said about the days of history's past when actors weren't paid gobs of money for their portrayals? When they weren't coddled like screaming, spoiled children that wanted another delicious scoop of ice cream? And also when they did their own makeup. That's right. Actors used to do their own makeup. Once upon a time, there was an actor named John Wilkes Booth that did his own makeup. And in fact, his makeup case is featured inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. It's time for another episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and always educational detailing of each episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 6. Master of Disguise. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Some quick housekeeping. Video from the St. Louis Podcasters Meetup. Nick, I had the pleasure of not only welcoming you, but a whole bunch of other people, both in facility and virtually, to govern the most recent St. Louis Podcasters Meetup mm. here in St. Louis. And man, what a great session. We were able to talk about a variety of things inside of content creation that included not only adding video segments to your podcast, not only getting the best sound inside of your podcast, but the compilation and editing of all of that put together to make the best programming. We're going to have a series of video segments that showcase all of it. The links for all of that will be available over at stlpodcasters.com. Be sure to check it out and learn how to enhance your podcast. stlpodcasters.com. Nick, enough with housekeeping today. It's time to get to the retail of this episode. Oh yeah. Season 2, episode 6. Master of disguise. An actress is complaining about her leading man. Where is he? Why isn't he here? What's the deal? They all decide to wrap it up because no one can find the leading man, William Pratt. As the production shuts down, two innocent extras are being watched by a deep breathing 
individual. And they decide to split up. One of them finds a closing door. Then a fan starts. Then a big ass light. Shed some light on one of the innocent extra ladies that then falls on top of her head, smashing her head into a crimson flood of doom. A figure comes close, grabbing portions of the leftover crimson carnage that are then packed into a strange jar. Back at the Curious Good Shop, our three intrepid heroes are talking about renting out items from the shop to William Pratt to be used inside of his movies. It's a new move for money-making and a whopping move for Mickey's libido. William Pratt's quite a looker, Mike. Backstage on the film set, the director and the first AD are talking about the problems that are stacking up. And finally, they call Mr. Pratt to set. Pratt is putting away a box with the letters J-W-B on it. Fast forward to the onset of a scene being enacted as Mickey and Ryan arrive and... Action! William Pratt arrives inside scene and awakens his blonde co-star. Mickey watches from afar and envisions being much closer to Pratt. Pratt and the blonde actress begin a movie-going kiss, and Mickey is off to Dreamworld, and... Cut! Print! Check the gate! As Ryan and Mickey prepare the props, she and William Pratt's glances connect. As they unpack the items, the two finally meet. She explains that she's renting props to be used inside the movie, and Pratt hopes that they can talk later. Immediately thereafter, he leaves, however. Pratt arrives back in his trailer and finds a snooty, snooping investigative reporter. The snooty investigative reporter wants to know more that Pratt will not divulge. If he doesn't divulge it, then fine, he will publish everything that he, quote, knows. Which isn't much, so I really don't understand the real threat, but, you know, script. The snooty, snoopy investigative reporter wonders, Hmm, who is JWB by chance? You know, the initials on the box. Out! Pratt commands. The reporter says fine and shares, by the way, his hotel location with Pratt and leaves unceremoniously, but will be seen very soon. I think we might know who the next victim is, Mike. Good call. Pratt spies a photograph and looks at the mirror. As Pratt reminisces over an unknown photograph, he finally looks at the mirror and... (gasps) Something terrible is happening. But we don't know what it is, nor will we find out until later. Snap to several hours later where... ...has arrived for the snooty Snoopy investigative reporter. After answering the door and letting in the bellhop, he prepares a hot tub bath and watches his own insidious interview detail of some other smarmy person finding out what he has uncovered. Behind him, the room service bellhop wanders into the bathroom. He won't leave. The strangely bubbled bellhop grabs the small portable television that's plugged into the wall and drops it into the now electrified water of the hot tub, thereby making a perfectly do-not-disturb-door-hanger reason inside the room. Dot, dot, dot. A champagne glass is filled with blood and leaves the room on a silver tray. 
Later on, back on the movie set, another scene is being captured on stage. William Pratt, also known as Bill, is actually squeezing the screaming starlet's neck, who instantly loses her cool. She screams. She slaps. She storms away. Bill finds Mickey and takes her over to the director and insists that Mickey should be put in, in the screaming starlet's place. They make her up. And as they get her into an outfit, the hairdresser slash makeup artist shares that Bill really does consider Mickey special. Isn't that convenient? How incredibly impressive that is for the storytelling element inside this episode. Bill and the first AD arrive, and she's perfect. But Bill is not. In fact, he needs some special makeup, but will take care of it himself inside of his trailer with his own personal makeup kit that has three letters on it. Later. Hmm. Ryan and the makeup artist on the set have a conversation how she does everybody's makeup but Pratt's. Seems that he is in charge of making himself up, Mike. Hmm. Very Very strange. strange. Time for another take with Mickey in place. Action! The scene continues. Bill wraps his hands around her neck. He begins to hurt her. She grasps her own neck, and they embrace and kiss. As the previously screaming starlet watches, she isn't having anything of it, and she harumps off the set. There's going to be a lawsuit. Don't worry. Because Bill will take care of the residual problems with the screaming starlet later. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Ryan is warning Mickey about going out with Pratt in a terribly inappropriate comment. Yeah, insert foot to mouth, Ryan. And guess what? Someone has died mysteriously on every single set that William Pratt has been a part of. But you know what? Don't worry about that now. Mickey's in love. Of course she's not thinking that it has to be something involved with a cursed item. Love. Love most foul. She storms out to go out on a date with William Pratt. Jack and Ryan can't find Pratt's name inside of the manifest. Hmm. What is the story? Pratt's name isn't in the manifest, Mike, but a cursed makeup case is. That's incredibly interesting. Let's continue on that story path. You see... John Wilkes Booth makeup case is on the manifest. It's on the manifest! Ryan heads out to hopefully save the day! Back in the Screaming Starlet's dressing room slash RV, she's having a drink and drinking to her own awesomeness! Pratt visits her room. He's carrying a box, and unfortunately, the hands that hold the box are deformed. And so is his face! He clubs her over the head with her own award. And then he continues bludgeoning. Blood spray spews forth onto the wall. Pratt captures portions of the contents of her head and stacks it on top of the makeup case, which absorbs the power and spirit of her something. The makeup case has a taste for blood, Mike. He opens the case and begins applying the bloody cream to his face. As he leaves, there is now a pristine William Pratt. Then the trailer explodes. It bursts into a 30-foot wall of flame, and the screaming starlet's career is now truly over. She's taking her final bow, Mike. 
Later on that night, in a riverside dining setting, William Pratt takes Mickey to dinner. Here's to our dreams. As they toast champagne and talk about how love overcomes all. Beauty and the Beast and all that. It's a wonderful story. Enough to make you sick, Mike. Snap back to Jack, meeting his former agent, Sig. Previously, he booked Magic Axe and is now ready to have Jack back. You know why? Because Jack is Jack Marshak. Man of action. And man of magic. The two reminisce. And finally come into conversation to talk about a man named Jeff Amory. Jeff Amory was a man who was listed inside of the manifest who apparently bought the John Wilkes Booth makeup case. Sig seeks inside of his memory and remembers... Oh yeah, he was a hunchback. Super ugly. He got bit parts in the horror movies and a few years ago a gorgeous woman and a dude were apparently killed by the man. He was taken to the mental hospital and now no one knows what happened to him. Jack heads back to the shop with this wonderful valuable knowledge and they have to get back that makeup case. Jack rushes back to the shop to tell Ryan the news that he's discovered. Ryan, deciding that he'll be the man of action in this episode, tells Jack to stay at the shop just in case Mickey were to come back or to call as Ryan rushes to the studio. At the studio on the movie set, production is halted because the starlet's RV has been blown up and the screaming starlet is dead. The director has decided to head back to Europe in light of the now many dead people turning up on set. Pratt details that the show must go on or he too will be benefiting from a lawsuit soon to be filed. Ryan stealthily makes his way into William Pratt's trailer. But, oh my gosh, Pratt's coming back. Ryan hides carefully inside the bathroom where he carefully watches William Pratt as he removes the makeup case, puts it into a bag, and departs. So does Ryan. Pratt grabs Mickey and they scream off in a sports car to a nearby bedroom where there is much kissing and smooching and lovey-doveying happening. As the sun rises, Mickey finds that she's laying in bed with a still very pretty William Pratt who has bumps on his forehead. Bill streaks from the bed into the bathroom and looks into the mirror. Bubbling, gurgling bumps begin to appear on his face. Mickey wants to help, but she can't get in the door. Bill finally opens the door and insists that the bumps were... It's just an allergic reaction I get sometimes. Nothing to worry about. You see, he gets it now and then and again. But now, he looks fine. And now, it's time for more lovemaking. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Jack and Ryan still can't find Mickey. What's this? A message left on something called an answering machine. It's some sort of detail left about Evergreen Lake. <gasps> Evergreen Lake is the same place that the other red-haired woman was killed back in the day. William Pratt decides to stop at a gas station where he's going to put on more makeup to cover up more allergy problems. He heads to the bathroom, hopefully to get ahead of the onset of bubbling doom again. The gas station attendant, remember those? Goes to check on Mr. Pratt, who is bubbling away inside the bathroom. 
The attendant uses the master key, strapped to a giant hubcap, to interrupt the bubbling session. And Pratt obliges his interference with a bubbly hand and more doomsday blood-making. Pratt emerges from the bathroom, perfectly in shape, which cannot be said for the person left on the bathroom floor, leaving a torrent of blood as Mickey and Pratt leave the gas station in their sports car, screaming down the road. It's now night. Amazingly, instantaneously, Mickey and Pratt have checked into room number five. You see, it's a very special room, obviously. Pratt once again begins to bubble. Mickey heads to cabin number five. She finds a very dark room. She finds Pratt mistakenly calling her Diana. You know, the woman that he's killed previously. The room is also very dark. And finally, she sees that Pratt is a monster. Why did you lie to me? You said you loved me. Jack and Ryan arrive just in time and seek out which cabin to go and save Mickey. Pratt continues to have his clear mental breakdown and begins to choke Mickey, who finally obliges him and says, I love you. Kiss me to prove it. And she does. It's a gooey, icky, grisly kiss. And William Pratt begins to cry. Boo-hoo. And so does the audience, because that's the crescendo? That's the story? She weeps with the man once known as Jeff Amory. Now, back at the Curious Good Shop, in Mickey's bedroom, Jack, Ryan, and Mickey reflect on the days past. He just wanted to be loved, not to be judged by what he looked like. Jack shares a story about a man that he knew that once played monsters and creatures, but in real life was the kindest man ever. His name was Boris Karloff, but Boris Karloff's original name was... William Pratt. With Amory in seclusion, with the makeup kit in Vault's custody, the cursed item of this episode is... Recovered! Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. Let's take a minute to focus on the goods. Yet again, location and settings. This show prides itself on being able to take advantage of being put into real-life locations. Mm -hmm. And they do it so regularly, I almost want to call it a hallmark of the show at this point. Yeah, this is almost becoming a regular section in The Goods. Yeah, it, 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 it might even need to just be a feature inside of The Goods where we talk about what they showcased inside of this most recent episode. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll have to look at that. We'll see We'll see if the trend continues. We'll see if we can't modify that. But the, the gist inside of this one is that the payoff of this episode, I think, especially in particular, is that you literally get a look behind the scenes inside of the trailerville mm-hmm. that is the backstage of any major motion picture studio. Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun because 
if you never knew that, the only thing you might have ever heard was, you know, in inside of the actor's trailer, the whatever the story is. But you'd never get a, a concept of what that actually means. You get all that here. Yeah. You get that here. You get the hairdresser area. You get backstage. You get the concept of the first AD, the assistant director inside of this. All of that's thrown at you inside of this episode. And it happened so fast that you might not even realize that you were thrown in the face with it. Mm. But it was it was stellar, and it is a, an excellent snapshot of what you get to see because of the plan for location and settings inside of the series. The acting of he who was William Pratt, the tragic villain. Just over the top enough, but the way that he portrayed it, especially having the, the dichotomy of personalities inside of this episode, I thought was tremendous. I love that he can instantly be the one that jerks the heartstrings, but is also willing to rip open your chest and yank out your heart and watch it beat as you die. Right. And I I appreciated that because he's, while we use the words tragic villain inside of this, well, he's the villain. Right, yes. I I mean, like, outright. He's very villainy, yes. And I like it when... It's not even attributing pathos because I don't really get pathos off of this character. Hmm. What I do get is that he is he is a master of disguise. It's it's the episode's title, and it was perfectly paid off with this villain inside this episode. Yeah, yeah. The actor uh, uh, John Bolger does a great job at showing the Hollywood leading man. Yeah. But yeah. then as you start to get to know the character, you can start understanding the struggling bit part player because of his deformity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the, which is something that we'll talk about in the bad, spoiler alert, but the <laughs> mental illness that is wrapped into the story, but then we don't really learn about it until later on. I think if that could have been explored a little bit more, it would have made a hell of a lot more sense. Yeah. There's a lot of layers to this character. Like you said, you know, make no mistake, he is the villain of the piece because he is murdering people to feed the cursed makeup box so that he can look handsome. Yeah, yeah. An interesting choice. I love it when, especially television series, especially episodic television series, mm-hmm. will take advantage of the ability to make an interesting choice in regard to especially either the whole third act or twisty turns leading toward the third act of anything. Right. Because it's all too rare. Typically, and I, th- I would consider you a master of it, where when you can call what's going to happen because of the way the storytelling has worked, yeah. or it falls inside of some sort of formulaic crescendo moment inside mm-hmm. of, insert whatever the name of the series is, you know exactly where things are typically going to go, period, paragraph, and begin the next paragraph. <laughs> right. And everybody hates that, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. I-, I realize that because it's formulaic and because it's done so commonly and often, everyone thinks that that's what's popular. Guys, that's not what's popular at all. Right. What is popular is something that takes you off your feet for a moment and pivots and goes in a direction that you probably didn't expect. And the entire ending of this episode, I did not expect at all. Yeah. I did not expect Mickey to come out unscathed, except Mm -hmm. for her psychological psyche that she'll have to deal with forever. Because she's already died once in this season, so... (laughs) I had absolutely no intention of the, quote, tragic villain living at all. Yeah. Zero. 
I, I, I thought for sure that he would suffer at least the same fate of either killing himself or something. Right. And right. we didn't get that at all. He lives. He lives. He, we don't even know what happened to him. So Ryan does say that. he's been he he's been put somewhere that he can never get out of again. So we're we're assuming he's back in the nut house. Right. Right. Okay. And then the end of the episode that kind of the retrospective viewing of the three of them reminiscing of what's happened. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I, it, it it puts it's not quite the period on the sentence of what happens inside of an episode, but it is very effective storytelling, especially with three lead characters, at least always one cursed item, and a story that's got to be buttoned up before you have the credits roll. Yeah, I thought it was very very effective choice. When we actually can sit here and talk about a subtle theme, it's not just beauty skin deep. There's more to it. And when, you know, they put the nice little period on the sentence at the end of this episode with the three of them, especially with the Boris Karloff reference, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. I totally agree with that. Absolutely beautiful. I absolutely agree with that. And again, a very, very interesting choice for the last good inside this listing of goods for this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. We're wondering what you thought was good about this episode. Make sure you let us know by going to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought about this episode. We've gotten through the goods. Now it's time to take a look at the bads. Here are three examples of things we thought were not so good during this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Scream and Starlet. Technically, she was so bad, she was good. Yes. <laughs> There's a question you and I you and I <laughs> contemplated actually putting her inside the goods because she is the perfect character. Because she absolutely represents that starlet. Yes. That nobody wants to work with. That well, nobody she's, ever she's wants that to endure. Actress. Yes. That nobody ever wants to be within about fifty physical feet of ever because you can't deal with her. There's right. there is no appeasing the beast. I I begrudgingly put her into the bads here because she well, we had to find things yeah. to put into it, the bad column, so... Is it that she was so over the top? I mean, I, I don't have enough acting experience with Starlet's The actress did like her job by oh, yeah. making us not like her. Yes. So yeah. I can't consider this being a bad, but her attitude, the character's attitude in the story, I would consider as an example of the bad attitude that actors think that they deserve to have because, oh, I'm so talented, so I deserve to be treated like I'm on a pedestal. I've been around actors for a very, very long time. (laughs) I've been on stage. I've been off stage. I've been in front of a camera. I've been behind the camera. I've met people like this character, Mm -hmm. and even though it's being portrayed as a stereotype, well, guess what? Stereotypes come from reality. Yeah. They're not a stereotype because somebody made, it, made up. it up. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's where we ask the audience Do you consider the screaming starlet a bad for the episode because she's just bad? Or is she so bad she's good? Yeah. Let us know by heading over to our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com. 
fill out the web form and let us know your thoughts on the Screaming Starlet. Yeah, the, the easy way to figure out and round out the concept of the Screaming Starlet is this. When the trailer with her inside of it blows up, are you clapping? Because if you are <laughs> clapping, then job's done. Job is right. totally successful. Stacking the storytelling. Now, this kind of goes into our previous point. Uh, the, yeah. the murders. Yes, Pratt murders. He wants the blood. But the starlet kind of, you kind of wanted her to die. And the smarmy, <laughs> snoopy reporter, he kind of seemed like an asshole. Mm-hmm. So you were okay with him dying. So when you think about it, okay, so those two people, yeah, sure, all right. It's, it's oh, well, they're not good people, so it's all right for them to die. But then you got to go back to the very beginning of the episode and just this random female extra who was in the wrong place at the wrong time ends up being killed. Mm-hmm. And th- th- there again goes towards the villain. Yes, sure, it's fun for us to laugh at the screaming starlet's death and the Snoopy reporter because they weren't good people. But we got to remember, he killed an innocent girl too. And he's probably killed a lot of innocent oh, yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's disarming. So you've got that. But then you have to layer on the strange backstory of who Pratt was before he became William Pratt. Right. Jeff Amory was a man who had a disfigurement, his face and his hands, and I would assume other parts underneath clothing were disformed very mm-hmm. bumpy and ridgy mm-hmm. and he was only getting cast as an actor in horror films and small monster parts and the story of so on on the last film that he was in you know the very attractive redhead actress had some sort of relationship with it. it's never clear in the storytelling we don't know if they were actually lovers or if Oh, I love you. As in, you know, you kind of tell me, oh, yeah, I love you, pal. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, I love you. Mm -hmm. Well, she goes off with another actor to a cabin in the woods to have a nice little romantic getaway. Amory shows up and goes wackadoo, Mm -hmm. kills the dude with an axe, Mm -hmm. and the girl runs off into the dark and falls off a cliff. Mm -hmm. So he's put away in an insane asylum and got out? I think maybe if we had five more minutes for Jack and Ryan to do a little bit more investigating, we would have found that Amory escaped, but they was he was never found. Well, something like that. We needed that line of dialogue of saying how the hell he got out and yeah. then got the makeup box. Yeah, it needed to be like where an acting troupe visited the insane asylum to convey entertainment to see that, that, that's the piece that's missing there's, there's a piece here that i wanted to also talk about which is as interested and as engaged as i was inside of this episode in particular the last part of the episode because i was so curious as to where it was going to go right what i wanted to know more of and it kind of leads back to many of our other items inside of the series i wanted to know more about wait a minute john wilkes booth makeup case was cursed yeah See, I want to know more. What is that line? What What does that look like? Yeah. The, 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 again, it's one of those pieces where when and or if this series is ever revisited, I would love to see more of that where even this could be more than one episode. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and flesh that out so that we can, we can know what, what is the significance of the cursed makeup box that John Wilkes Booth had. And well, I don't think it was cursed when John Wilkes Booth had it, Mike. It doesn't get cursed until Uncle Lewis had it. 
and then he makes the deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. I think it just really boils down to the writers going, okay, so we've got an episode where the cursed item is going to be a makeup case. Mm-hmm. Do we know any crazy actors or shit like that from the past? Mm, John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth was mm. an actor. Mm. Mm. So I think I think that's really where where that all ties in together. The curse is the thing that's interesting. We know that you have to put the blood of somebody that you've killed on the box so that it absorbs it. And then the makeup inside allows you to make yourself beautiful again. Make over, right. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's very sketchy, too, because yeah, sometimes it seems yeah. like he can stay fine for a long period of time. And then other times it's like, well, didn't he just kill somebody a few minutes ago to get, get the blood? Yeah, and he only, like, a champagne glass, really? Huh, there were at least eight quarts of blood in that, dude. Yeah, bring a bucket milk, next yeah, time. M- milk that some bitch. Milk it. You know? An interesting choice. Now, this is kind of tacked on from our previous point because this comes from the poor stacking of the storytelling because the ending, even though we did praise it in the goods, we're now about to slap it a few times like a screaming starlet Mm -hmm. because it seemed to come right out of left field. I would say this wasn't even from the ballpark. It's not this even is, the same sport. It's some part of the city that the ballpark is in. That's where this came from. I yeah. mean, it completely left field. That's not me saying I always want something that's formulaic and I should have guessed that. I don't want that. I don't want that. But what I also want is something that kind of fits more like a puzzle piece. Right. Where this was like a piece of a puzzle from a completely different puzzle picture. We and were we were actually in my in my mind we were actually we're missing a couple of pieces to the puzzle so yes. we can't put it all together. Yeah, there are moments in the episode where it's peppered about this Diana character, but you don't get enough of the full story to really understand it. And Pratt doesn't do the Jekyll and Hyde type. I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm crazy. It just comes out at the, at the end. end. The super tail end. Yeah. So yeah, it had yeah. had there been a little bit more of that throughout the episode, then the ending would have been, I don't want to say expected, but make more sense. Yeah. It, it would, again, to go back to the puzzle piece concept, it would have completed the picture of the puzzle. Mm. Rather than it's the it's the end wedge piece that you got to somehow put in there, and it kind of fills out the picture, but it doesn't. Really <laughs> I'll make this piece fit. Yeah, yeah. Well, those were our choices for the not so goods for this episode of Friday the Thirteenth, the series. But we want to know what you thought could have used a little bit more polish. Let us know by heading over to our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com. Fill out the web form and let us know. It's time to take a break during the Curious Goods podcast, our retelling, our revisit, and always educational review of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. We'll be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. 
Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, this time Season 2, Episode 6. Master of Disguise. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to reveal our manifest moments. Our manifest moments are where Nick and I look at either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else inside the episode that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, my manifest moment for this episode is going to be short and sweet. We touched upon it earlier while we were doing the goods and the bads. My manifest moment is the Boris Karloff connection. Mm. Mm. I love how... They've taken the reverse monster role in this episode, giving this beautiful leading man actor the name of William Pratt, which is actually the name, the real name of Boris Karloff. And Boris Karloff is known primarily for doing nothing but horror and monster-based films, mm -hmm. usually under some sort of makeup and prosthetics, but still never really playing the good guy or the leading man. Now, of course, if you love horror movies like I do, then the monster is always the leading man in any movie that I watch, so Karloff has always been the leading man for me. Mm -hmm. It was just really nice that we have this nice little bow put on this episode, and it revolves around the great, late Boris Karloff. And that is my manifest moment. I think that's a great one. My, I, I really had trouble selecting my manifest moment inside this episode because there were all these little pinprick moments mm -hmm. of manifest moment ability inside of this episode. And so I, as much as I want to just have one, I'm not going to have just one. I'm going to have all these <laughs> tiny little tiny ones. Ah. And the reason I mention all of them is because they're all little tiny pinprick tethers 
that could lead into more robust storytelling and character development for all of the characters that they surround. The very first one is obviously from Mickey. Mickey has an affinity already with William Pratt. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Well, we're never going to know what that means because we don't know. And they didn't follow it up inside of any storytelling, at least that I'm aware of, inside of the future storytelling of Friday the 13th, the series. So there's one. The second one is, and the this is probably the, the biggest one, was Jack going back to meet Sig. If ever there was a character that deserves at least another revisit or maybe an homage to inside of a new series that is somewhat based on this series... It's Jack Marshak. Yeah. Jack Marshak is such a robust character who we only get to see the shining rays of sunlight every now and again Mm. about. And we are gifted so much inside of this episode, but just little tiny snapshots. Yeah. And everything that happens with Sig inside of this episode tells at least four or five different stories that we, unfortunately, will never... No. Right. Not because the actor's dead, because he is. Not because the series is dead, because it is. But because we can't and or won't continue the story of Jack Marshak. And that, again, it just, it primes the pump for what is going on here inside the storytelling, where there are probably four or five other pieces, whether it's Ryan or Mickey or Jack or the people surrounding all of those players, somewhere inside of this episode is another potential skew. Mm -hmm. Just like Doc Brown talks about inside of Back to the Future, that we're not going to revisit. And I so wish that we could. Because it would help to, to pillow more of the storytelling and mythos of all of the characters inside of this. And I think it would deserve it deservedly. That's where we ask you guys, what's your manifest moment inside of this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you think. Vocabulary. It's time for wordplay. Vocabulary inside of the Curious Goods Podcast. Our first word inside of this episode is... First aid. For those that don't know the words first AD, it's simple. The first assistant director is essentially the person who runs the set, and that starts with scheduling everything. At the very beginning, the first AD goes through the script and breaks it all down, down to its nuts and bolts during pre-production, and then determines the best way to go about shooting it all efficiently. They are the architect of what's going to happen on a set. Yeah. And without them... It really does go in the toilet. The, the, a movie set is so many moving pieces and parts that without someone to be the clearly right hand of a director, things will fall apart very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. The director needs to have somebody taking care of, well, I don't want to call it the busy work, but really it is. It's way more the minutia. The director yeah. needs to be focused on what it looks like, and how it's being captured. Everything else needs to be handled by somebody else. It's all important, but the director needs to be focused on filming the damn movie. Yeah. That's why you need that assistant AD. Yeah. Our second word. Gas station attendant. 
is way more a concept than it is an actual series of words. Because I know that people that are listening to this will probably know what a gas station attendant was because you're probably my age. <laughs> well, and, and so I do believe we have more seasoned listeners than we do the millennial crowd. Probably. And uh, anyway, the gist is And we is love that, you all. Yes. And we love you all. Yes. Uh, the, the gist is, though, that many people, other than seeing it in Back to the Future, probably <laughs> probably don't remember that there were people that would walk up to you and go, fill her up, or how can I help you, or thought about an oil change, or whatever yeah. about a car. Yeah. You would just have a conversation, or whatever. Once upon a time, you didn't do anything. <laughs> you just Somebody you else did it for you. Yeah. Then there came the days back in the 80s when it was a little of both. You could use the full service Mm -hmm. and pay a little extra, Mm -hmm. or you could do it yourself and do the self-serve. But most people were like, well, I have to just tip the guy. I can get it taken care of myself. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to do it? Now we live in the age of... Get out of your damn car and do it yourself. Or send your kids, one of the two. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a gas station attendant with me every time I drive. Ah, I see. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the just in the concept of a gas station attendant is something I wanted to shine the light on inside of this episode, inside of our vocabulary segment, because I know that not everybody will remember and or know what a gas station attendant is. What vocabulary struck you inside this episode of Friday the 13th? this series. Let us know what you think by going to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out that web form and tell us what vocabulary you identified inside of this episode. Episode Rating. Ah, the rating inside of the Curious Goods Podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A burning, crusty skeleton of a screaming starlet that shall scream no more. One is on the bottom. An incredibly bubbly personality. Except we're not talking about the bubbly personality, if you know what I'm saying. They're not all winners, folks. Okay. (laughs) Everything starts at a seven. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? I had fun with this episode because I knew going in that we were going to be getting a nice little, if not the mirror held up, but maybe a caricature of film life and set life. Mm -hmm. I love the concept of a makeup case that can make you look look like somebody different. I don't remember seeing this episode when I was younger. I don't either. So this was this was new to Alien. me. Alien, yeah. And mm-hmm. when I read the synopsis for it, the little the little blurb on IMDb, I was like, "Ooh!" I was thinking that maybe they were going to go the the route of Clayface from the Batman mm. comic books, or mm-hmm. one of the Clayfaces, to where you could move your face around to make it look like anything you wanted it to look like. You could look like multiple people if you so wished. I didn't know it was just going to be a really ugly guy who then kills to get the blood and then can look pretty. Still a cool concept. But if this show was done today, that's what you would see. You would see somebody that could make themselves look any way that they wanted. And I think that a practical makeup effect would even be really cool to where you have the bumps, but then as you're applying the makeup, 
the makeup of the bumps stretches out to where it's smooth skin and make the feature of whomever you're trying yeah. to be. Yeah. yeah, I think that would look that would really that would really that would look really cool. Yeah. Now I know we couldn't do that back then. So, right. you know, I'm not taking any points off for that. Right. But, but it's another fostering though of why this series needs to be It needs to be completely revisited. Yes. Yes, definitely. Totally. But there were there were, there's some story issues. I I think they had a a good idea, but too many tasty ingredients into this pot and it was just too much it was just a little bit too much not enough was explained you had a lot of content not enough explanation so i'm gonna rate this one an eight i like a lot of the detail that you've got there it's incredibly insightful and and graphs as a template onto this episode wonderfully I think eight is a wonderful number to use for this episode, mostly because all the hallmarks that we're talking about inside of a real solid episode of this series are all here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of the characters, the pathos for all three characters is there. Uh, If I had to put them on a scale, it would go Mickey, Jack, Ryan inside of the the scale awareness of pathos for the characters. Again, that, the the wanting to let's see what happens if we do this at the end of the episode. I was looking for something else. Uh, the previous episode is another clear sample of yeah. where it ended and it gave us something, but I was looking for something completely different. <laughs> right. So rather than it being a surprise twist Oz kind of ending, it was I don't actually know why we went in that direction, but okay, and scene. Right. And so I was looking for something different there. Eight is an incredibly appropriate number. I, too, give this episode an eight. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Season two, episode six of Friday the 13th, the series. Master of Disguise. Reveal your identity by going over to CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and tell us what you rated this episode. Oh, what another great episode in the books. Mm-hmm. So until next time, I'm I'm I, I'm having something going wrong with what, my, what? My, my, my my forehead. Are you are you having an allergic I, reaction, Mike? You're uh, you're getting a little bumpy there. There's nothing wrong with my forehead. Did you get stung by a bee? <laughs> Where where's my makeup kit? Are you okay? I am not a podcast host. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. Hey, you. Welcome back. Because I don't want to talk to multiple people. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) Yo, Mr. Cotter.
Why Why is it that during these retellings, I am the f***ing Ed McMahon? Hey-oh! <laughs> 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 you, you are correct, sir! <laughs> Pratt grabs Mickey. Today. And they scream off! That's just what it says. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's Thursday. What, what happened? What happened with those folks over there? They screamed off. <laughs>